Jordan Thomas, uh, and I am an educator. And so my experience in education uh, stems for over a decade, uh, leading as a teacher, leading as a instructional coach, assistant principal, as well as principal. And then three years ago, I made the transition to go back to school and get my doctorate. And so just graduated with my doctorate in education leadership from Harvard Graduate School of Education. And I launched my consulting business in October of 2017. When I was still a principal, so if you ever wonder if you can launch your consulting business while working full-time, the answer is yes. Hello, Erica from Atlanta, my name twin. Hello, hello. Um, But I launched my consulting business in October of 2017. And uh, when I, I launched my business, it was really out of a season of transition of me trying to figure out my next steps. Uh, It's a whole long story around why I started my consulting business. But when I made that decision over four years ago, I had no clue all of the freedom (laughs) that was going to be on the other side of that decision. Um, I, at the same time, applied to graduate school, the doctoral program that I just graduated from. Didn't know if I was going to get in. Um, And so I was like, all right, my consulting business will you know, it can, at best, if I get in, it will fund my transition to go back to school full time. If I don't get in, then this can kind of help sustain me as I figure out what my next chapter is. And I started my consulting business in October. I found out I got into the program February, March, ended up moving in June to Cambridge, Massachusetts. By the time I moved in June, I paid off all my credit card debt and had built three months of savings all because of my consulting business. And so um, that was four years ago. And now I have a multi six figure consulting business and I have a program for educators to helping them launch their own consulting business and have worked with over 200 educators, helping them find their profitable purpose and launching a consulting business that centers impact as well as centers their wealth. Um, So I have a private Facebook group. Hey, Patrice. I have a private Facebook group. If you're on Instagram, so for my folks on, on in the Facebook group, if you see my eyes looking over, it's because I'm looking over at Instagram. Um, but uh, for my folks on Instagram, if you want to join my private Facebook group, then just click the link in my bio um, and uh, you can request to join. But I go live in my private Facebook group every other week. So how this happens, if you're new to the group, JT Office Hours happens on Thursdays. And how it works is... Um, On a Thursday, we'll drop a poll into the group of questions that people in the group have have submitted. And so the group will have the opportunity to vote on the questions. The three questions that receive the most votes, um, and if people want to add questions to the poll, you can do that too. But the top three questions with the most votes, I go live the following Thursday and answer. And so I'm going live to answer the three questions with the most votes from this most recent poll. And those three questions that we're going to be chatting about today are, how do I safely, uh, quote unquote, legally use other people's content in my programming? How much money do I need to invest in startup fees? And then what does it mean to be an independent contractor? 
So those are the three questions I'm going to be answering today. If you're just joining me, go ahead and introduce yourself in the chat. Just tell me your name and where you're logging in from. So that way I could say, hey, and welcome you and we can build community. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into our first question. And as I'm going through the questions, you all, one of my core values is authenticity and another one of my core values is community. And so please feel free to leverage the chat to be able to react. If what I'm sharing sparks follow-up questions for you, you can drop those follow-up questions into the chat. Um, if you have a personal experience related to the questions I'm going to be discussing, please share that wisdom into the chat um, so that way we can build community. So. The first question is, how do you safely and legally use other people's um, content in my programming? Um, hey, Demetria from Tennessee. Nice. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, okay. So how do I safely and legally use other people's content in my programming? This is such a great question. Such a great question, because I think this comes up oftentimes when people are thinking about building some type of coaching program or an online course, or even sometimes with professional development, figuring out, well, when can I pull in content that I didn't create and what's the best way to do so? So I'm just going to give you some guidelines um, to kind of follow as you're thinking about this. So the first kind of guideline that I would share with you is if you can create it on your own without infringing on anyone else's intellectual property, then you should create the resource. So let me give you an example. If you have a pre-work that you want to give to folks and the pre-work might be, you know, unpacking their mindset or um you know, it could be uh, just doing a case study or something rather than using someone else's work, then you could actually create your own, creating your own business asset, creating your own intellectual property. Um, that is, is one potential guideline. And so just opening that up as a possibility of, can you actually create your own resource uh, or, or intellectual property rather than having to use someone else's. And of course, again, I always say this, if you don't want to infringe on someone else's intellectual property, so meaning you don't want to just take their content and put your name on it, but rather than pulling a piece from, you know, an article from someone who's written all about, you know, let's say, your mindsets around creating a healthy classroom culture, why don't you write a blog around the top five strategies to creating a classroom culture and use that? Um, so that's the first thing to consider is, you know, the possibility of you actually creating your own resource. And the advantage to that is you're building more intellectual property within your business. The second guideline. So let's say that that's not an option of you creating your own um, intellectual property to be able to use. If that's not an option, then the second guideline is always when you can, if you want to use someone else's content and when we're, how I'm defining content, meaning if it's an article, if it's a book, if it's a video, another guideline to consider is ask permission. 
So if you get the person's permission, the original creator of the content, then that just trumps everything, right? Like you have that as documentation, you, you know, have um, their blessing to be able to use their content. Uh, that is, is always a, a good guiding principle. Another guiding principle to consider, um, because let's say maybe you haven't heard back from the person or you don't have a way of, of reaching out to them to be able to get their permission. Another guiding principle to consider is if you had to pay to access it, then you need to pay to share it. So when I say if you had to pay to access it, meaning you bought Brene Brown's book and there was a chapter in that book that just completely changed your perspective that you want to now include in your one-on-one -on -one coaching with principals or teachers or PD. You want to sign it to pre-work in your, your group coaching program. Well, you had to buy the book. So because you had to buy the book, you need to buy the book for other people. So that is another guiding principle to think about is if you had to pay to access it, then you need to pay to share it. And that is that is, is an approach you can take. Um, if there's a book that was great, then you should buy the book for the folks you want to work with. Another, um, so on the flip side of that, in terms of a guiding principle, is if you accessed it freely, Ask permission if you can, but always when you're sharing it, link back to the original resource. So for example, there was a YouTube video that you wanted to incorporate into you know, your professional development. If you can't get in contact with the original owner to ask permission, and it, it's a free resource, you didn't have to pay to access it, anybody can go online to watch it then if you were to include that in your professional development, you always want to link back to the orig original source and credit the source. So that means that you cannot download the video and then just put it in your professional development. You want to actually link back to the original owner and the original source as crediting because that's their content. It's almost kind of like also too on social media, when people share things and then people where we kind of live in a culture where people will just screenshot and crop and then reshare. And it's like, no, you actually need to, a way to honor the original creator is you either do through the repost app where you're literally reposting and tagging them or you tag them. Like you need to link back to the original source to give that person credit. So those are just some guiding principles to just think through. Um, and I mean, I, I think also another principle just to think through is, you know, when you have your own intellectual property, how do you want people to treat your intellectual property, right? So if you, if you write a book, how do you want people who uh, experience a transformation as a result of their book and now they want to share with other people, how would you want people to to respect your intellectual property, well, they need to buy the book for other people. <laughs> like, don't copy a chapter. Don't, you know, photocopy stuff. Like, buy the book for other people. So hopefully that that's helpful. Um, let me know in the, the chat um, if that sparks other questions, if that feels helpful, um, if, if that sparks any thoughts, ideas, or questions from you. So that's the first question. 
And now we're going to move on to the second question. So our second question is, how much money do I need to invest in uh, startup fees? So I love this one. Because with startup fees, I think this is one of the ways in which we create an equity around entrepreneurship is we we put financial barriers in place uh, that people have to like climb over in order to to start their business. So I will share with you my philosophy and approach to this question. Other people might tell you something else, um, but I feel like this is this is one of the ways in which inequities are created in entrepreneurship is by creating these rules around how much money you have to put in in order to even like get your foot in the game. So my personal philosophy is, is you should not spend money on your business if you have not brought in a contract yet. That's my philosophy is if you have not brought in revenue, you should not be spending money on your business. My philosophy is you your revenue should be funding any business expenses and you should be adopting that mindset to then be able to think through, all right, who do I have in my network that I can tap into for my first consulting opportunity? And then once you get that revenue, then you can begin to invest in your business rather than coming out of pocket and spending money on your business before you've even made any money. So that's my personal belief is that it doesn't cost anything to start. And I think I think this is going to go back to some of the unlearning that some of us have to do, where some of us have created imaginary checklists of these are the things we have to do first in order before we can start talking about our business. And usually some of those things on the list cost money, which then further discourages us from from starting our business. So we think, oh, I need a website. You know, I need a logo like when I started my consulting business in October of 2017, I did not have a website. I did not have a logo. I did not spend a dime on my business. And I got three contracts before I even had a website. So those contracts were now able to fund the website that I wanted to build. You know, they were able to cover those re- those expenses. Um, and so I just encourage you all to, to think about what are the opportunities that are already in your network that you can be tapping into and leveraging for that early revenue to be able to set you up to, to set a foundation before you even start spending money on your business. Um, now, I will say there comes a stage or a time and stage in your business where you do need to invest in your business, right? So my belief is that it doesn't cost to start, but it sure does cost to grow and scale. So there are some people who they will will feel a, a sense of freedom by not having to, to come out of pocket to start their business, but then they will be uh, struggling to invest. So they're doing free trials for everything in their business. They are not spending money and investing in, in the tools that they need to grow their business, to improve the client experience. And so I share that as you have to balance both philosophies of it doesn't cost to start and it costs to grow and scale. 
So that's where you begin to think intentionally around at, at, you know, do you need that thing to get a client at that point in your journey? When you first start, you do not need a website to get a client, but there becomes a point in your business where you where having a website is beneficial to actually gaining new leads and you do need to invest in a website. So um, I, I, I share that. Hopefully that's helpful. Let me know in the chat what that sparks for you. Thoughts, comments, reactions, questions, um, and just, you know, a couple of, of examples that I wrote down here for you is just costs you may consider as you're growing and scaling um, is a website, which is one of that I named, an LLC. So you might decide to file for your LLC. You do not need to have an LLC in order to start. An LLC does cost. And depending on your state, the fees are different. Um, it is it is a legal protection for you that you do need to have. You don't necessarily need it to start. So I, I say that as, as consideration because when you're just starting in your business and consulting, it's pretty low risk. Um, when you're you're starting early, you're building your clientele, there's pretty low legal risk. Um, and so that can be one of the things that you prioritize after your first contract, your first four-figure contract investing in your LLC. And, and in many states, it doesn't cost four figures. It's a couple hundred bucks. Um, but that's one of the things that um, is an investment in your business. You might invest in, so like even when you... Um, get a website. Uh, you have to buy the domain. And when you buy a domain, you can then purchase something like G Suite, where you can connect the domain um, to have a company email address. So rather than you know the email address just being your name at gmail.com, you can have your email address being your first name at yourwebaddress.com. Um, so that might be something you invest in after you get started. You might also decide to invest in a virtual assistant to help you with some of the administrative tasks. So those are things that, again, you don't need them to start, but to grow and scale, you do need those things. You might decide to invest in business coaching to help you grow and scale. So those are just a couple of, of examples of just some things to, to think about in terms of helping you grow and scale. But again, my philosophy is, is you should not spend money on your business if you have not yet brought money in to your business. Um, okay, that's question number two. Um, I'm just looking at our comments here. Um, and uh, is it Tamika? Tell me if that's correct. And if I'm mispronouncing it, let me know. Um, and please correct me. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, but Tamika says, great advice related to question number one. Um, I'm glad that that feels helpful. Okay, so then our third and final question is, what does it mean to be an independent contractor? So I'm going to approach this question from two perspectives. Both, I think, are equally important. So the, oh, Tamika. Oh, okay. Thank you, Tamika, for correcting me. And thank, thank you for this phonetical breakdown. I appreciate this. Tamika, got it. Um, and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're able to join. All right. So this third question of what does it mean to, uh, to be an independent contractor? So I'm going to answer it from two perspectives. So I'm going to 
I'm going to answer it from the first perspective of when you are the independent contractor. So what does it mean when in your consulting business, you get a contract and you will be hired as an independent contractor? What does that mean? Well, essentially an independent contractor is considered to be like the opposite of an employee. And I'm going to break down exactly what makes it the opposite. So as an independent contractor, you are not an employee of the organization who you have a contract with. So that means as an independent contractor, you do not have employee benefits. So you're not getting health insurance through your client. Um, You're also responsible for paying your own taxes. So as an independent contractor, if your contract is for $5,000, your check will say $5,000 versus when you're an employee, if you are paid, you know, let's say $100 an hour and you worked 50 hours or, you know, whatever the calculations were and you, your salary ended up to being, your check ended up being $5,000, your check is not going to say $5,000 because they have to take all the taxes out. It might say $3,500. It might say $3,000, depending on your tax situation. So as an independent contractor, you're responsible for paying your own federal and state taxes. So the check that you receive from your client you actually need to be reserving a percentage of that to pay your own taxes. The other difference around an independent contractor and an employee is as an independent contractor, you set your your hours. Your employee, or excuse me, your client can't dictate what your work hours are. So your, your client can't say, well, you have to be online from nine to five or you're working from nine to five because you're an independent contractor. You set your working hours. Your client can't can't dictate that for you as an independent contractor. And then another difference is going almost back to the tax piece is that as an independent contractor at the end of the year, you receive a 1099 versus as an employee, you receive a W-2. Um, and so the, the, those are some of the major differences between being an independent contractor and employee. But I share all that to say is anytime you're getting contracts in your business, you're being contracted as an independent contractor. You're not being contracted as an employee. They're not hiring you. Um, and so Part of that is, you know, for you to have that knowledge and context of what that means, um, because your client can't say, well, you have to be online from nine to 12 every day that actually they can't dictate your hours. Now, they can say a deadline of when we need a task done, but they can't can't um, they don't make they can't make your schedule. Um, So those are some things to, to be thinking about. So that's from the lens of when you are the independent contractor. The other part of this question that I wanted to talk about is from the perspective of as the CEO of your education consulting business and you are hiring, you could be hiring independent contractors on your team or employees. So part of this question is you need to understand what it means when you're 
the independent contractor that was hired. And you also need to understand what this means when you are hiring as the CEO in your business. So why this is really, really important is because uh, a way that I have seen people stunt their growth in their business as entrepreneurs is, is struggling to, to wrap their mind around hiring an employee. Like people are scared. And I, <laughs> I will make an I statement. The thought of hiring an employee used to be, and I'll talk about what made the pivot for me. It used to feel so overwhelming and so scary. And I'll name that if you plan to having, if you plan on having a multi six figure or seven figure business, you will have to hire an employee or employees. You can't do that with just a bunch of contractors. And here's why. Because as I was just saying with a contractor, you can't create their schedule. They determine their working hours. When you are growing and scaling in your business, there will come a time when contractors, you having a sole team of contractors and no employees will become a bottleneck in your business. And basically, and this is the language that I use, you're going to start feeling like the side chick <laughs> because your business is not their priority. They are not solely dedicated to your business. They're a contractor. So they still have full flexibility over, you know, their work, how they prioritize when they work. You can't tell someone when they have to be available. Um, so I share that for my folks, regardless of what stage you are in your business, to begin wrapping your head around the fact that you should have employees. And here's the other thing that I get so excited about. I'm sure there's many of us that have had such toxic work experiences that we have the opportunities as, as CEOs to build companies where we're hiring employees and creating safe, nurturing environments where people from marginalized communities genuinely feel like they belong. So like, that's the other thing that excites me around hiring employees is like, I know how many experiences I've had as a Black woman as an employee who happened to be a Black woman, where I dreaded coming to work. And now I'm in a position as a CEO where I get to hire employees and I get to create a space where Black women are thriving at work. And like that for me feels so exciting on that level to be able to create that level of change. So here's just a couple of things for you to think about. And I kind of just wanted to demystify some things because what, what changed my perspective of thinking, oh, I just needed to have independent contractors and like being really scared of hiring employees is actually A, having one too many experiences with contractors where they were becoming a bottleneck in my business because I couldn't regulate when they were online and I needed them to be online or <clears throat> they weren't full-time because they didn't have the capacity to be full-time. So we were limited in our capacity I had one too many experiences like that where I'm like, okay, like I'm creating this bottleneck in my business by not being open to hiring employees. Um, and so I made the decision of like, all right, I'm going to <laughs> hire an employee. And going through this experience, it made me realize like, this is actually not that scary. 
Like, it's not that scary. Because in my head, I had, like, all these, like, thoughts around, think, like, even just thinking through, like, oh, my God, benefits. I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> like, I don't even know, like, where I would even start. And here's the beautiful thing is I realized I actually had many of those things already either in place or at just an arm's reach. So I just want to share those things, a couple of those things for you um, in case it's helpful, in case you're in the position of hiring employees, um, you're scared to hire employees. I want to just help demystify some of that process because I'm going through it right now. Um, So um, I think... Uh, let me know in the chat what some of your biggest fears are when you think about hiring employees. And I'm happy to talk directly to those. Um, But I'll just share a couple of mine um, that came up for me. So I was scared to figure out to navigate benefits because I was like, I have no idea what that looks like. (laughs) Like I have absolutely no idea. Um, And then I learned about um, a health reimbursement account. Where, because in my head, I'm thinking with benefits, you know, what I've known as benefits are as an employee where there's an open enrollment in period. I get all these options of different plans. Do I get this the 80-20, the 70-30, the 60-40? And so I'm thinking that's the experience I have to offer my business. And I'm like, oh my God, so I have to partner with an insurance company. How do I even find that? And then like my my employer paid for some of that. So that means I have to pay for it. And so like, I was just so overwhelmed by the details. And as I began learning in this area, I realized that you have to have at least two full-time employees, including yourself and someone who's not your spouse, um, working in your business in order to offer benefits through your company. So that's thing number one. And there's also another alternative. The other alternative is to offer a health reimbursement account where essentially your your employee picks what uh, health plan that they would want. So they pick the plan. You don't have to, as the employer, go through figuring out who are all the different options. And this is also particularly beneficial when you have employees that are working in different states than you. But they pick the plan and essentially you offer a reimbursement every month. And so uh, that reimbursement could be $500. I mean, you determine how much it is, but um, whatever the cost of the plan is, then you just reimburse them for that every month. And so I was like, oh, okay. So my employee would pick the plan. I just need to like reimburse them. Got it. So like that helps like bring down some of the like unknown anxiousness or like overwhelmed feeling. The other thing that I was like getting overwhelmed by was all of the the things that you're responsible for having a system in place for in, in for employees. So you have to have a system for uh, you know paying Medicare, Social Security, taxes, all those things. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> like that feels like a lot. And then I realized I already have that system in place for myself because. When you get to a certain point in your business and you get to a certain revenue level, you are going to opt into what's called an S corp, which I, I'll I have a whole nother previous JT office hours where I actually break down what an S corp is. So 
If you're not in my Facebook group on IG, click the link in my bio, join the group. If you're in the private Facebook group, just search the group for S Corp and I break down exactly what it is. But one of the, the requirements of being an S Corp is as the CEO, and even if it, you're the only person employed by your business, you're, you can still be an S Corp. You have to be, you have to put yourself on payroll. So before you're an S Corp, payroll looks like you just moving money out of your business account into your personal account. But then when you become an S Corp, you actually have to put yourself on payroll, which means you have to pay for a payroll system that will deduct the money from your business bank account. It will pay the taxes and then it will deposit your check into your whatever your personal account is that you have with the payroll system. So because y'all, so this is this is what we know as employees. Or when our the company we work for, the organization or school district we work for, we get paid every two weeks or once a month for some of my educators, but where the, the money just deposits in your in your bank account. Well, on the back end for payroll, it's pulling from some account that the organization has it pulls your your gross amount. It then is redistributing a portion of that money to Social Security, to Medicare, to you know state and federal taxes, and then it deposits the remaining amount in your personal account. So when you get a payroll system in your business, you're doing the same thing. And the payroll system is doing it all on the back end. So I say all that to say that I am an S-Corp. I had already put myself on payroll so all those things were already happening. <laughs> so like every time I pay myself through my payroll, I'm paying federal and state taxes. I'm paying Medicare. I'm paying Social Security for myself. And then the, the remaining balance is just deposited into my account. So I was just need to add my employee to the payroll system and all that's taken care of. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like I have I already have the system for that. So I just share those things. And that's another thing. So uh, and I'll the payroll system. Um, that I use that you can check out. I'll put it into the comments is Gusto. So you can look into that, but Gusto will manage all of that for you. They'll manage also paid time off, which is another thing that could feel overwhelming of like, oh my God, like <laughs> what, where do I even start? Um, they'll pay uh, Gusto, your payroll system will organize all of that for you. And then the last thing that was like, uh, that was overwhelming for me. I was like, oh my God, I need a company employee handbook now. Um, and I was able to get, uh, when I just like Google different examples and looked into different resources and books around employee handbooks, I was reading it and I was like, wait a minute. And remind y'all, y'all, I'm a previous principal. I was like, this is like the school handbook. <laughs> like, I just need to go in and update it. And like, you know, you don't write the school handbook from scratch. Like you pull a template or pull last year's handbook and you go in and you make some some edits, but then you also update it every year. And so that was another piece that, um, you know, helped kind of bring down like that feeling of being overwhelmed, of realizing, okay, I had all these fears of hiring an employee because I just, I, I just didn't know. I just had, I, I, there was just a lack of information. And then once I got more information, I realized like, okay, this actually isn't that scary. And here's the thing, y'all. So the, the way that I'm setting it up is 
I brought someone full-time onto my team. They're starting as a contractor for 90 days, just as a probationary period to, you know, see if we're a fit for each other. You like me, I like you. <laughs> like, what's your work performance like? So we have a preview into each other. And then at the end of the 90 days, um, you know, should we both feel like this is something we want to continue and um, we're both satisfied with one another, then we'll make the transition to being an employee. Um, and the person is like killing it right now. And one of the experiences that I was um, having is like, because it's the first time I've ever had anybody dedicated just to my business for 40 hours a week. It is blowing my mind with all the things I no longer have to do and all the things it now frees me up to do. Like literally, I, I shared a task with them in the morning on we use Asana as our project management system of communicating you know, to-dos. I added something to their Asana board on Monday in the morning. We had our check-in at one o'clock and my plan was to talk about it before we even got to the check-in. They had finished it. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I love this. I love this. Oh my God, this is so amazing. And so I just say that to say like, like imagine and for, you know, <clears throat> my school leaders in the room, <clears throat> this is the difference between having a substitute and having uh, a full-time teacher. And even for my teachers in the room who, who you may not, ha you know, have school leadership experience, you understand this too. This is the difference between having or having an AP or not having an AP, right? Like, like there is a difference when you got a, a, a substitute versus when you got a full-time teacher, there's a difference. So I just named that to help you all begin now to start, start conceptualizing the idea that it might feel scary for you, the thought of hiring an employee, but beginning to do the mindset work now to see that as an option, because each of you are in a position to not only have your own consulting business and to grow it, but in order to get to multiple six figures and seven figures, which is totally possible for each of you, you are going to have to hire an employee. Employees you are going to need someone 40 hours a week dedicated in your business. Now that could be an executive assistant. It could be an operations manager. It could be another consultant who is helping you tag team with the work. There's, there's many different possibilities for that, but I'm just sharing that with you again so you can begin to wrap your head around the possibility. Um, because if you, if you, if you, Continue to be scared by it and continue in this rabbit hole of just hiring contractors. You're going to create a bottleneck in your business. Um, so I'm just looking at the chat here. Um, folks just sharing, Tamiko is just sharing uh, some insights into what other fears people might have related on the employee front of hiring employees who are efficient, which, listen, that's that's real. And... That, that goes back to your interview process. So, and here, here's the thing that I would, you know, I would share is if you're struggling to hire employees that are efficient, you're probably also going to struggle to hire contractors are, that are efficient because that just goes back to your interview process. So it actually has nothing to do with employees. That actually has everything to do with the system that you should be having in your business of how you actually interview those that you bring onto your team, regardless if they're a contractor or employee. And here's the thing, y'all, this is why I get so excited about us like going after our consulting dreams is because many of us 
have already had experience of hiring as educators. As a principal, I cannot tell you how many people I hired. <laughs> so like, I was not new to hiring people. I'm not new to managing people. I already have the toolkit. Because here's the thing, oftentimes I hear so many entrepreneurs that are so overwhelmed by managing a team. And I'm like, my instructional leadership team was 12 people. I'm not even talking about teachers. <laughs> like my instructional leadership team is 12 people. And I'm not even talking about my financial secretary, like other, like I know how to manage folks. I know how to do check-ins. I know how to do like all of, I know how to coach people. I know how to get feedback. I know how to manage up, like manage down. I know how to do performance evaluations. I know how to document and let you know when it ain't it. Um, and so I just share that because so many of you already have so many of these skills that are going to translate directly into your business. That actually, for me, the hiring and managing of a team was something I already have, I've had so much experience in doing that actually, for me, the scariest thing is the logistics of doing it. And once I realized like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Bet. Guess what? I just brought someone on board who's going through her 90-day contract contractor period, and we're going to transition her into employees should everything continue to go amazing as it's already going. And I got another position in the pipeline that we're going to be bringing in in October and doing the same thing with. And I'm already thinking about the third full-time employee position that I'm going to have in the pipeline. So um, just wanted to share that. Um, and of course, always happy to share transparently, uh, Tamika. Um, uh, question or the fear quest for competency and individuals who make needs needed contributions, learning to be an employee's boss accountability. Yeah. So I, and so here's, I, I think here's another beautiful thing that we all, for those of you who are working full time, I think this is another, uh, another opportunity you have is start to thinking about how can you begin to exercise that now in your role? So <clears throat> If you are, um, let's say you're still a teacher and if you have this, this fear, when you think about employees, hey, Alexis, when you think about employees, if the, this fear that comes up for you is hiring, then you need to be on the hiring committee for your school. So you can see the behind the scenes, you can see the process. If you are, uh, if one of the fears that comes up with hiring employees is the accountability and being someone's boss, then you need to be a department lead or department chair or PLC lead or PLC chair. Cause that's going to give, that's going to flex the muscle that will directly translate into your business of leading and managing a team and hiring employees. So um, I really appreciate you naming that Tamika. And for my folks who have full-time roles right now, you have the opportunity to start practicing. So what does it look like for you to practice right now? Um, so so that those are our three questions. If you have any final questions, please go ahead and drop them into the chat. I'm, I'm just looking back at my notes to make sure that I covered anything, everything. Um, I, I've already said this, but I just want to underscore it like one more time of having someone fully dedicated to your business makes a difference. And that's what I'm seeing right now that I've brought someone full-time onto my team, realizing um, it beca it's becoming clearer and clearer the bottleneck that I had um, because 
of, of me continuing to hire contractors that would only be working 15 hours here or 20 hours here a week. Like, and that's also a part of like the level up of like, you know, who, who having a team, a full-time team dedicated to you is a part of the level up. So there's a little bit of scarcity mindset that's also, um, that is also, uh, you know, embedded within the sphere of hiring an employee. Um, it will, it's, it's almost like the, and I might hurt somebody's feelings when I say this, and we'll, we'll both be all right. <laughs> but it's like you continuing to buy the cheap shoes at Target that break every year, or you could just buy the leather boots that's going to be maybe two, $300, but they will last five, 10 years. Like you pick. <laughs> like, so you can either keep having shoes that break. And clearly I'm talking about my own personal experience of like, about me and my best friend were just talking about this of like, we, we are leveling up in our expectations and investments that we are making um, because a part of the scarcity mindset is, is picking the cheapest option that actually costs you more money. So that is also present in this contractor employee. Well, people will continue to pick the cheapest option, which means that you will be building a cheap business, which means you're setting yourself up to, 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 to do cheap work. And, and you're going you're, you're to show up and slay, but when you have the contractor who's only working 15, 20 hours a week, that means that if you have a client that, just emailed your support email address, they may not get a response within 24 to 48 hours. That's cheap. Versus having an employee who's working for you full t- 40 hours a week, who's dedicated to your business solely, their responsibility is the client support email address. They're checking that email box all day. So someone's going to get a response within five to 15 minutes. So I just I just share that as a way to just unpack and like like uncover that mindset that will will keep your business small. It will keep you cannot scale to multiple six figures or seven figures if you don't hire employees. You can't do it. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. And then I got one other question here. Um, uh, who makes your phone calls to schools or districts? So I don't make phone calls to schools or districts. So that's thing number one. That's not a part of, of my strategy. I don't call. Um, if if I needed research done on, um, and, and uh, Dr. C.J. Massalency, please feel free to clarify for me because I'm assuming this is coming from like you're trying to generate leads when you're making phone calls, but let me know if I... I'm making a if if I'm misunderstanding or if my assumption is incorrect there, please let me know. Um, but I'm I'm assuming this is from a lead generation standpoint. I do not make calls. That is not a part of my strategy. I would not recommend that as a part of someone's strategy. Um, if I were to wanting to um, research potential leads to then determine what relationships I might need to cultivate in order to move that person through a client journey that they would eventually consider becoming a client. I needed to do research in that way. I would now have my executive assistant who's working 40 hours a week do that for me. I would not do it. So that's one of those things that frees me up where I would set the expectations of like, here's what I need. This is when I need it by. This is what it should look like. And she goes off, does it and comes back. (laughs) And like, it's like magic. Um, So 
hopefully that answers your question. All right, good people. Um, so again, for my folks on IG, if you aren't in the private Facebook group, just click the link on my bio to be able to request to join. Uh, we'll be back. At, we'll have another poll drop next Thursday. So keep a lookout for that. Y'all know you can always add questions to the poll. So you have the option. If there's a question you want me to answer, you can add it to the poll and others can vote on it. Because actually the first question I answered was, was a question someone added to the poll. Um, and other people were really got lots of energy from that question, which is how I got the most votes um, for me to answer. So you have that option. All right, y'all. I hope this was helpful. I hope you were able to get a few things out of it. Let me know in the comments um, uh, or if you're on Instagram, feel free to DM me. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I hope I hope you were able to take something from this time together. And I look forward for us being back together here on the next JT Office Hours. So y'all have a good day and I will chat with you soon.